We're going to begin this afternoon in 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17. We'll get around to that passage just here in a moment. But when we consider the gospel, there are some fundamental precepts and foundational elements that are associated with the gospel. Uh, Obviously, Christ is the foundation of the church. He died for the church. He bought the church with His own blood. And He reigns over the church, the kingdom today. But also there are some other foundational elements. The gospel, or being a Christian, is all about change. It's all about changing from one thing to the other thing. Putting off the old man of sin, Romans 6, 3, and 4. Putting on the new person. Burying that old man and coming up and being and walking as a new creature. Being a new entity in this life, meaning we've changed ourselves. Change is fundamental and it is one of the things people hate most. People hate change. They get comfortable with what they like, and they get comfortable with the way things are, and they just kind of get used to it, and they don't want to change it. And I understand that in a lot of ways, but sometimes change is definitely needed, and sometimes it's a little bit difficult to achieve. But that doesn't make it any less important. Christians ought to be striving every single day to always be changing for the better. Changing for the better. Trying to be more Christ-like, even when it is difficult and sometimes painful. One way to achieve that goal is to understand what we need and what we need to be. I was reading uh, an example of that, or at least at the time it struck me as a good example of this. If it were not for God's Word, humans might have to look around at God's creation to learn some of these very important virtues in life. Perhaps we would learn faithfulness from uh, the dogs. Perhaps we would learn perseverance from the ants. Have you ever knocked over an ant hill and you come back the next day and it's right back the way it was? You almost can't stop them. They just go right back to work. Have you ever heard an ant complain? No, you're not going to either, right? They just go back to work. They fix what you messed up. And what about this? Uh, Creativity. We were talking about spiders in the Bible class. Creativity from a spider. You know, it's amazing what they can do. I hate them, but it's still nonetheless amazing what they're able to accomplish. But thankfully, we've been given God's Word. We can learn these very uh, virtues and these characteristics, but that doesn't mean that we still can't learn from God's creation. Solomon talked about the ant. Solomon talked about different aspects of creation. And I think one of the uh, lower life forms that we can learn a little something from when it comes to change is the crab. You know, a crab grows differently than... uh, most other animals in the, in the animal kingdom, their body grows continuously throughout their lives. But their shell stops growing at a certain point, so they have to put that old shell away that they're comfortable in, that home that they carry with them at all times, and they have to go find another one. In the process of doing that, they have to come out of that shell. And that's their protection, isn't it? Who likes to come out of their shell and into a place where you feel exposed and 
and uh, unprotected. Well, no one enjoys that. I remember a couple years ago when Nicole and I were up in Minnesota, we'd gone up and I was holding a gospel meeting up there. We decided that, you know, if you ever, if you want to go to all 48 lower states and you get anywhere within 10 million miles of North Dakota, you better go because there's no reason to be there, right? Well, we were driving across Minnesota over to North Dakota and the further west you get, when you're that far north, the more exposed you become. There's not a tree in sight. And I just felt exposed. I was very uncomfortable. Because no one likes that, right? We like the protections that we have in things that are familiar. Well, the crab is able to go out of that shell, find another shell, and just move right on. Now, why is it so difficult for humans to be able to get out of their protective shells and move on to something that they need to change about themselves. You know, you and I want to be the people God expects each of us to be, and that requires change. Now, in the passage before us, 1 Samuel 17, beginning with verse 40, we see an example of a young David. We see him in the process of going up against uh, Goliath, and I want us to look at this example of David maybe a little differently than than what we are used to looking at it. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time on the battle itself because I think maybe that's what we're used to hearing. And there's so much that we can learn from this interaction David had with Goliath that sometimes we get a little bit of tunnel vision and we overlook those things. After all, the battle is where all the action is, right? Well, I want us to look at it just a little differently and I want us to look at it from the aspect of this. What was in David that allowed him to do what he did? Let's step back from the battle. Let's back up a little bit in his life. And let's understand some things that allowed him to be what God needed him to be. The title of the sermon this afternoon is The Kind of People God Uses. And let's use David for an example. And let's begin with... He uses common people. That's our first point. He uses common people. Now let's look at 1 Samuel 17, beginning with verse 40. And he took his staff in his hand and chose, chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had, uh, even in a scrip. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. And the Philistine came on and drew near to David, and the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog, that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hands, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcass, uh, the carcass of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, and all that and all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. 
And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with the sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead that the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him, but there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistine, uh, when the Philistine saw the champion was dead, they fled. God uses common people. David was just an ordinary young man. When we look at the interaction between he and his brothers, he was, they looked at him as just the overseer of a few handful of sheep that protected those sheep because they weren't able to protect themselves. He wasn't highly esteemed by anyone. He was just simply an ordinary young man who was willing. He wasn't a great warrior. At that time, David wasn't a great warrior. After all, he'd never been to war. He wasn't in the army. He was going to check on his brethren who were in the army. He was simply someone who had a willing heart and was willing to do what he was asked to do to please the God of heaven. When we look at the history of the world, God has always used common people. Common people. Far too many of us, I believe, in the world look at ourselves and we say, well, I'm just not able to do this or I'm not the person who ought to do that. Yes, we are the people who ought to do it. We absolutely should do it. Paul told the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1, beginning with verse 27, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world and things which are despised. Hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence, but of Him... Are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. God receives the glory when common people do his will. That's one of the reasons we don't support the, the missionary society or uh, something of that nature. We're not going to put an organization together and we're going to let the glory go to that organization for taking the gospel to the world or for feeding the hungry. We're going to allow the church to do that, and God gets the glory. That doesn't mean churches can't team up for an effort, but we're not going to create an organization. God needs the glory. God deserves the glory, and He's always used common people. Think about the people He's used over the centuries. When we think of Moses... Moses was just a shepherd for 40 years. What great things had he done? Well, he was faithful in his duties to his father-in-law, but he was just a common, ordinary person. What about the servant girl who uh, served Naaman's wife? We don't even know her name. She was just a common, ordinary person who told Naaman about the God of Israel. What about the 12 apostles? Just ordinary working men. We might say blue-collar workers. 
They weren't anything outstanding or great, so it appeared to the rest of the world. They were just common, ordinary people. They were people who were willing. So we see that God uses ordinary people, but He has to use people who obey Him. People who do not obey Him and who are not obedient, they're no good to God, right? David was willing to do even the mundane tasks. You remember why he was there, right? Jesse sent some cheese and some flies and and some uh, a gift to the captain of, of their thousands, talking about his sons, and go check on your sons or your brothers. That was, a, that was a task that the lowest of servants could have performed in David's house or Jesse's house. So why was David so willing to do it? Because he was asked to do it. He was obedient to his father. Even the small tasks that people don't even know happens. You know, that was one of the problems with Ananias and Sapphira, wasn't it? They wanted people to know what they had done. They wanted a pat on the back. They wanted to have their names out there. And that's not what David was. David, verses 17 through 22 of our passage, he wanted to do what he was told to do because he was told to do it. And the glory went to God. He went on that job even though someone else could have done it. But notice what the result of that was. Because he chose to do the mundane tasks, he was then placed in a position to even better serve God more. And then the glory went to God. What did he tell the Philistine? What did he say to Goliath? You come out with a sword and a spear and a shield, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts of the army of Israel. And I'm going to kill you this day. He did it because he was asked to do it. As a result, when we're afforded an opportunity to bring glory to God, we ought to take it. I think that's a lesson for all of us. There are things we can do that anybody can do, but someone needs to do it, right? I think maybe that's the best way to look at it. Why does a church grow? Why does a church grow? Because of the membership. That's why a church grows. Do you need a faithful preacher? Sure. Do you need faithful leaders? Sure. But why does a church grow? Because the membership wants to grow. The membership wants to grow. And they're willing to do things that that uh, honor God because God's asked them to do it. Let's endeavor to reach out to someone. Let's look at our lives right now and let's say, you know, I'm going to invite someone. Maybe I've never invited to services. Let's have an opportunity to interest someone in the gospel. Let's get them in a position to where we can speak with them, maybe have a Bible study with them. Churches grow because members want the church to grow. Often it's a, it's a mundane task, but God's asked us to do it. God uses common people, but those common people have been consecrated. They've been consecrated. That's our second point. Consecration, or to be consecrated, means to be separated. That's simply what it means. Separated for a very special purpose. God's consecrated people are those who are related to Him. We might say they're part of His family, right? And that's the whole concept of Christianity. When we get into heaven, we're going to be brothers and sisters with each other. That's the relationship we're going to have. the, the, The relationships we have here 
are going to be different. Does that mean we're not going to remember who our husbands or our wives were? No, that's not what that means. But the relationship has changed. Now we're brothers and sisters, right? That's the idea that Jesus put across. And so we have to be part of His family. And when we look at the words of David, it is revealed to us that he had a personal relationship with the Lord. I think sometimes we uh, we don't want we don't want to, or we, we are apprehensive about using that terminology, having a personal relationship, because the denominational world has used it and abused it. They think having a personal relationship with Jesus is simply, I believe He is who He said He was. Well, that's nothing could be further from the truth. A personal relationship with Jesus is no different than with anyone else. We have to know that person. If we have a personal relationship with one another, do we know certain things about each other? Sure we do. We share that information because of a mutual affection that we have. See, we have to know about Jesus. We have to know what He stands for. We have to know in what He believes and what His work was. And we have to buy into that. We have to have that relationship. He expects it, right? When we read the Psalms, in short order, we discover in a hurry that David had a personal relationship with the Lord. And if we're going to be consecrated, we have to have that same thing with the Christ, right? When we look in Acts 13.22, we understand why David was able to be set apart for a very particular purpose because he was a man after God's own heart. And he was willing to change when it was necessary. Peter described members of the church as uh, being a chosen generation, a royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, 1 Peter 2.9. It's just simply being different. How do you get to be different? It's change. It's change. That's what the gospel is about. Changing to be who God needs you to be. A person who is not faithful or is not even a member of God's family, they're not related to Him. God can't use that person because he or she is not consecrated. The consecrated are related to God. But here's another aspect of of that particular trait. Those people rely upon God. We see it in David's interaction with Goliath. Again, what did David uh, take with him to go out to battle? Well, he took a weapon because that's the reasonable thing to do, right? You don't go out and and fight hand-to-hand with a giant who's twice your, your height, likely, and a whole lot bigger. So he took a weapon, but he didn't take all the modern warfare weapons, did he? He had confidence in God's protection. He didn't go with a sword. He didn't take Saul's uh, uh, armor. He didn't take any of those things that all these other soldiers had. He simply gathered up some smooth stones, put them in his sack, took his sling, and he went out to war. The battles won in our lives are won because of God. God is the victor. God gives the uh, the victory and the win. Notice what Peter said, 1 Peter 5, 7, talking about the greatness of the Christ. He says, casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. We can't get where 
to where we need to be without God's blessings. It's impossible. What kind of people can God use? He uses a consecrated people. He uses people who are related to Him. He uses people who rely upon Him. And we cannot be consecrated unless we are committed to Him. That's our third point. What makes a person committed as opposed to a person who is not committed? You know, I've been involved in, in different uh, activities and things in my life, and, and uh, some things I was committed to, some things I was not so committed to. When I went to Indonesia the first time, I was thinking about trying all the different foods that they have. You know, they eat some pretty rough stuff over there. Dogs, you know, they eat dogs. And I thought, you know, just because I'm going to try, try that when I get over there. You know, the opportunity never presented, presented itself to me. Even though I went to a whole lot of restaurants while I was over there from time to time, ate in a lot of different people's houses who fix dog and eat dog. You know what? I wasn't committed to that. I wasn't committed to eating dog. I just couldn't get past it. Every time I thought of that, I thought of my dog. And it kind of angered me a little bit that someone would go be so low in my mind as to eat a dog. Well, I mean, look, a dog is no different from any other animal. It's a culture in which you grow up, and, you know, they eat cats too, and I'm not opposed to that at all for sure because, you know, I'm not a huge cat fan. Now, Wayman is going to, I'm going to be in trouble. But, you know, I wasn't committed to that. So you have to be committed if you're going to be consecrated. If you're not committed, it's not going to happen. And here are some things that stop people from being committed. Well, first of all, obstacles, right? Obstacles of all kinds. Do you think Goliath was an obstacle? The man was almost 10 feet tall. He was an obstacle. He carried a spear that the shaft of it was the size of a, a, a weaver's beam. The head weighed 25 pounds. That was an obstacle. But David faced that obstacle. He didn't run away from it. He overcame it. You know how he overcame it? His eyes weren't on the problem. His eyes were on the problem solver. Now that makes some sense when we begin to look at it, doesn't it? Peter stepped out on the water and walked on the water. And then when he stopped looking at the problem solver, he began to sink. That's not what David did. David was committed. Now, does that mean that uh, we don't address the problems because we focus on the problem solver? No. That's one way we focus on the problem solver, by doing our part to address the problem. David went out, didn't he? He had the stones. He had the, uh, the willingness. And he performed the act. And God blessed him and gave him the victory. You see, Christians face great obstacles in the process of spreading the gospel. You know, as I look at it, and I've thought about it over the years, if you're a Christian in the United States, you know what the greatest obstacle is? No one's going to stop us, or at least up to this point, no one's going to stop us from congregating. Not going to happen. The greatest obstacle is me talking to someone about who Christ is. And why that's such a great obstacle is because it's uncomfortable. We have to change that. We have to get out of our tiny shell and move into a bigger shell, just like the crab does. It's hard to speak to others about spiritual things, but we have to overcome that. Committed people 
overcome obstacles, and they overcome opposition. How many people got in behind David when he went to the king and he said, hey, I'll go out. I'll go out and fight the, the giant. Nobody. Everyone opposed him. His brothers opposed him. The king opposed him. No telling how many other people opposed him that it's not recorded for us. No one encouraged David. It's kind of like the story of ten frogs were hopping through the forest and two of them fell into a hole and the other ones gathered round and they tried to jump out and they couldn't get to the top and and so all the frogs at the top said, just die, just, just quit going through all the pain. And so they kept jumping and trying and finally one of them just gave up and died. Well, the the second one just kept trying and kept trying and they said, hey, Stop what you're doing. You're wasting your time. You can't make it. And he kept jumping. He kept jumping. Finally, he came out. And they asked him, didn't you hear what we said? Now, I was a little confused about this part of the story, but I still love it. They asked him, didn't you hear us? He said, no, I'm deaf. I thought you were encouraging me the whole time. You know, no one encouraged David. No one encouraged him. He overcame opposition. The people who God uses, they are common people. They are a consecrated people. They are a committed people. Brethren, if God's going to use us, we have to be courageous in the sight of problems. They are willing to accept risks. Remember what Jesus said, Matthew 10, 22, will be hated for His sake. Again, fortunately in this nation, that's not going to be physical normally, but we're still going to be hated. We have to accept the risk. But what about this, brethren? You know, things are changing in our country a little bit. And we've already gone through a period of time, and in some states in our nation today, particularly California and some of the northwestern states, you know they've said churches can't congregate because of this virus that's going around? Is there anything wrong with, with saying, hey, we're, gonna, we're not going to congregate right now because of a health issue? No, that's not wrong. And we did that for a little while. And then we came to the understanding, well, we're going to congregate anyway. So the problem with something like that is, just like any tyrannical government, and I'm not saying we live under a tyranny, but what I'm saying is that tyrannies come from better types of governments. Okay? What happens the next time the government says, well, you can't meet for this and this, and it's slowly and surely whittling away at the rights of the folks, and one day someone's going to say, we don't meet anymore for services. Has that ever happened in the world? The church was established under those very circumstances. So what are we going to do? We're going to take the risk. We have to. We have to take the risk. See, David was willing to put his life on the line for the glory of God. Did he know for certain that he would be victorious? No, absolutely not. What about, what about Daniel's three friends, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael? As they stood before the, the, the fiery furnace and they said, King, we're not full of care, but we're not going to bow. 
Our God may not save us, but He's able to save us. And if He if He doesn't save us, we're still not going to bow. And they shuffled them off to the fiery furnace. It was so hot, seven times hotter than normal. Nebuchadnezzar had them thrown in. The very guards died because of the heat. The three youths walked out. They weren't singed. They didn't even smell of smoke. They took the risk. They didn't know what would happen. They didn't know what would happen. See, we have to be willing to take a risk if God's going to use us. We also have to be willing to accept ridicule. Ridicule. Now that may be the thing we face more than anything, but Jesus, Matthew 5, verse 11, He said we'll be persecuted and we'll be reviled. People are going to say ugly things to Christians. You know why? Because the world hates Christians. The world hates Christians. Look around it at the... Uh, one of the dominant parties in our political system today. If you, if you love God, you're a backwards idiot who believes in a myth. If you do not accept this new kind of culture, then you hate people because you don't accept homosexuality. You don't accept the fact uh, that men are men and women are women. Or you do accept it and they won't. Really, that, that, that makes so much uh, nonsense, right? You're born a man, you're born a woman. You don't get to choose which one. You are what you are, right? And uh, I don't know how God stands it. Do you? How does God stand looking down upon a world that has blatantly rejected Him and done the most sinful things that could be possibly done well, we know what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. We know what happened during the times of Noah. I'm just thankful right now, evidently, it's not as bad as it was during the times of Noah. But brethren, how much longer can God withstand this mess that's going on in the world? I don't know how much longer. But see, we have to accept ridicule. We have to stand up for that which is right, whether the world likes it or not. We see that in David. People tried to stop him. The giant ridiculed him. Well, what, what am I, dog? You're going to come out with sticks? He said, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to feed your hide to the fowls of the air. David said, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Here's what's going to happen. And that's what happened. Do we want to be the kind of people God can use? Regardless of what it costs, regardless of the energy, regardless of the reputation we might have or lose, it will be worth it to be used by God. And that's what He expects us to do. We learn that from David. Some, most of the time we look at David and, and I want to spend, at least I do, I want to spend my time on the battle because I, it's so interesting to me. But there was a reason. There were some fundamental principles within David that allowed him to go forward in battle and to be victorious. And it didn't happen overnight. He continually, as a young man, worked on those things and worked on those things. Brethren, that's what the church has got to do. We've got to change in the areas where we need to change. And I'm not talking about doctrine, obviously. I'm talking about technique. What do we need to do? And maybe more so than anything, the effort that we put out. We all have to put out the effort. And we need to do that. It can't be left up to simply the leadership. They're part of it. 
But the rest of us have to put forth the effort as well. If you've never obeyed the gospel of Christ, do that tonight. I look out and I think everyone has obeyed the gospel. But if you've become unfaithful, come back to Him. Be the kind of person God can use. And I want to be that person and you do too. But at any rate, if you need to answer this invitation, do that as we stand and as we sing. Jesus is